Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon is the word of the day. It's the person of the day for Friday, October 8th, 2021. You may know Mark Harmon as the star of NCIS. You may know Mark Harmon as the husband of Pam Dauber, who played Mindy in Mork and Mindy. Mark Harmon is one of my favorites because one of my top 20 movies, I haven't looked at my top 100 list recently. It should be in the top 20, top 40. It's called Stealing Home a great baseball movie with Jodie Foster, Mark Harmon, John Silverman, Harold Ramis. And it's about stealing home. Last night, the Tampa Bay Rays started their trek back to the World Series, defending their American League championship from last year, defending their pennant, playing the Boston Red Sox, not the Yankees, the Red Sox. And the country and the world got to see that the Tampa Bay Rays are in a class by themselves in the American League East, that them winning 100 games in the regular season was no fluke. And they're doing it with rookies. Did you watch Randy Arozarena? Do you remember the name from last year's postseason? He hit 10 home runs. He was the talk of baseball. The budding superstar had this insane run as a rookie during the Rays playoff run last year. Guess what? He's still a rookie. It is the craziest rule in sports for me. That is total hyperbole. It is amongst the craziest rules. To me, a rookie is if you appear in a game in a season and you've never appeared in a game in a season, you are a rookie. Rookie of the year is when you're the best rookie in a particular year. But in baseball, let's say you're brought up in September, you can't be considered a rookie that year because you will not have enough at-bats or enough innings pitched, and you will not be eligible to win Rookie of the Year, which helps you going forward in arbitration and free agency to say that you have Rookie of the Year in your quiver. So the rule that the union and MLB agreed to is that there is a minimum number of games that you have to play in order for you not to be considered a rookie. So if you get called up in September and you play all the way through October in the playoffs, you come back next year, you have not played in the number of games that gets you to your quote unquote second year. That means you're still a rookie. So this year, Randy Arozarena is a rookie. It just sounds crazy. The best rookie I've ever seen. He got to play 19 games with the Cardinals in 2019. He got to play 23 games with the Rays in 2020. 
So add that up. That's 42 games. That's the equivalent of being called up sometime in mid-August in a regular sort of season and then playing every day. That's not the threshold. Now, you can win rookie of the year by being up all year and being decent, but then having a great August and September. We had a guy with the Marlins who did that. His name was uh, Chris Coglin, a name from the past. He went on to play for the Cubs for a bit. He won rookie of the year as a Marlin because he had such an unbelievable end of year stretch that the voters gave him the rookie of the year, but he had played pretty much all year. But it is just bizarre to me that you could be in parts of three seasons and still be considered a rookie. So Randy Rosarina, the Tampa Bay Rays, as you know, set their lineup according to a an analytic system and a group of people doing things that are next level. So they set their lineup up. The Red Sox have Eduardo Rodriguez pitching, not Ivaldi because he pitched the wild card game, not Chris Sale because he's going to go today in game two. So they start Rodriguez, who's a sort of swing guy in my mind, and he lasts an inning or two. Barely. That was it. And the Rays start off at the top of their lineup with a guy named Randy Rosarena. Gets on base. Wander Franco. Who's that? Wander Franco. Just another rookie. Just another shortstop. Just another top prospect that the Rays have. Just another guy who got on base 43 straight games, tying an all-time record for someone his age. 20 years old, this boy is. The same age Miguel Cabrera was when we called him up in 03. Don't Google it. I'm going to give you some funny information. Do you know the first day that Wander Franco was called up this season? June 22nd. Do you know the first day Miguel Cabrera was called up in 2003? I want to say it was June 20th. Is that a coincidence? Not at all. Straight service time manipulation. It means that Wander Franco will not be eligible for arbitration in 2022, in 2023, not until 2025. He'll have three full years in the big leagues, plus this little half year. Why does Tampa do that? Obvious reasons. You want to pay him as little as possible while he's this good. He gets an extra base hit. RBI, top of the first, the youngest player ever to get an extra base hit for RBI, first postseason at bat. The Rays are winning. Then Rosarina hits a home run. The Rays are winning. But then a play happened that just caught my attention, and that's why Mark Harmon is the word of the day. Rosarina, I'm going to call him Randy. Randy is on third base. There is a left-handed pitcher on the mound for the, I was going to say his name is Tony Clark, but that's clearly not the name of the pitcher. That's the name of the head of the union. I'm not sure the name of the pitcher for the Red Sox because it's escaping me. Coke, you'll be able to find out very quickly. Josh Taylor. That's not even close to Tony Clark. I have no idea why that was in my mind. Did I say Josh Clark or did I just say Tony Clark? I think we'll have to go back to the videotape. Whatever it was, it's Josh Taylor. Third baseman for the Red Sox is playing off the line. It's a 4 nothing game in the seventh inning. Randy starts going down the line. The rule is when you're a base runner, you are allowed to take a lead off third toward home that is equal to the space that the third baseman is off the bag. So if the third baseman is playing 10 feet off the line, you're allowed to take a 10-foot lead toward home plate. If the third baseman is 20 feet off the line, you're allowed to take a 
foot lead. You only have to go 90 feet. So in theory, if the third baseman were 80 feet off the mound, off the line, off third base, you could be 80 feet down the line. The problem with being 80 feet down the line is you'd be 10 feet from home plate. And then all of a sudden the pitcher would throw the ball to the catcher and you'd be in a rundown, you'd be tagged out. So no one's going to take an 80 foot lead, but 20, 25 feet, totally doable. All of a sudden, Randy starts running toward home. He's doing a straight steal of home, the likes of which we haven't seen since Jackie Robinson. The TV said that Javier Baez had stole home in 2016, but this was a straight steal of home. Totally different. There's rules with stealing home that you can get credit for stealing home, even when it's not a true stealing of home, the Jackie Robinson style which is when the pitcher gets into his windup or gets set, you start heading for home, just like in the movie when Mark Harmon does it. And he slides in safely. And I'm watching the game, watching this happen, so excited that exciting baseball is happening, so exciting that it's not just home runs and walks and strikeouts, so excited to watch the Rays play in their brand of baseball, so excited knowing that this team is just has a really good chance to sweep the Red Sox. And then Coke and I are going to be absolutely loaded. So I'm thinking of all those things. And then Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, was interviewed after the game. And he said, Randy's been asking for the green light. And today we decided to give it to him. Guys who steal bases are always coming to us and saying, hey, do I have the permanent green light? And we would have three different levels of lights. So Ichiro, Ichiro had the permanent green light, which means when he wants to go in whatever count he's allowed to go, doesn't need a sign, doesn't need anything. It's the permanent green light because he's a knowledgeable base dealer, a knowledgeable baseball veteran. And we gave our trust to him, not analytically based, even though he was 38 years old, 40 years old, however old he was, whatever the case was, it was his right. So that's the top level of trust. You've got the green light whenever you want. The next level is that you've got the green light once you check with us. And that's where Randy was. It was, yeah, you've got the green light, but we have to tell you that you have it, which is the same thing as not having it. Because the way players check to see if they have the green light, when you see players who are talking to their first base coach, right? When they get on base and the first page co coach is going up to them. And what you think they're talking about is the situations. Make sure you go halfway in a fly ball. Make sure that you uh, are running. It's two outs. Now that is important to be told to players, but really what they're talking about is situationally what they should be doing in terms of running the game in motion. Hey, don't go anywhere. You're three feet off the back. Sometimes they'll put their hands out and they'll extend their hands, which is basically saying, go ahead, get a slightly bigger lead. But you do not have the right to steal. You have the right to pay attention if we put a hit and run sign on, which is done by the third base coach by touching nose, ear, nose, hat, tipping the hat, across the chest, going down the arms. Each team has a separate sign for hit and run. And we go over the signs and we rarely change them, even when other teams know exactly what the signs are because we're paying attention to other teams and their signs and teams are paying attention to our signs. And we say we change them up. We'll say when a player gets traded to us, when we play that team, we'll change them up, but we don't. We just say we are because then they'll see the same sign and they'll say, wow, are they doing the same thing? They may not do the same thing. 
and then we do do the same thing, but sometimes we don't do the same thing. All of it is just much ado about nothing. It's all the gamesmanship that goes on. Oh, tell me what your guy's signs were when we trade for a guy. What do we need to know? What's the book on this player, or that player? We're always doing stuff like that. It really is such a tiny, tiny incremental advantage that it's not worth it. So that's the second one. The third one is the NAC player. The NAC player is the not a chance player, which is not only do not have the green light, you've got the red light and you're going to stand two steps off the bag at all times. Forget secondary lead. You can take that when the ball is halfway toward the plate. Those are people with bad base running instincts and there are plenty of players with that. Those are players who are slow, players who are hurt. We can do a fast player and have an NAC on for the game because we don't want him to hurt his hamstring. We don't want the quick burst of speed because we're protecting the hamstring or the knee or we're protecting their hands. A lot of players wear these gloves now, uh, these mittens to protect their fingers because they're head first sliders and we don't want them to break their fingers. But we'll often do an NAC on a player because we do not want even a player with that glove to snap his finger on a base and cost that player. So there's a whole lot of things that go on with that game. But the most exciting thing for me was the stealing of home. And the other interesting part of the Rays game was watching Alex Cora after the game, just saying, hey, uh, that's a good baseball game. And they're a good baseball team. And that's it. Because what else is he going to say? The other game yesterday that I wanted to mention was the other game that happened, the American League other division series took place with the Houston Astros playing the Chicago White Sox. And it didn't come down the way I thought. Lance McCullers is way, way better, pitched way better than I thought he would pitch. He's really good. Unbelievable slider, great movement. If you watch that game, you saw what he was able to do. He went seven innings, seven shutout, I believe. The Astros are just a very, very deep, good playoff team. But that's not what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus as we move forward in these playoffs on whether or not the Astros are going to make it because Dusty Baker is their manager and Dusty Baker will be Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is the king, as you know, of ruining pitching staffs. Dusty Baker, when he managed the Chicago Cubs against the Marlins in 2003, had pitched Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood, Carlos Zambrano to the bone. He would leave them in for so many pitches. He would let them rot out there thinking that that would be the best way. So game two of the LCS in 03, Mark Harmon, Mark Pryor was pitching and the Cubs were crushing us. And he kept Mark Pryor in. And we were talking after the game saying, hey, that was great. We lost the game. No problem. Come game six, Pryor's going to be tired. He's going to have a problem. Mark Pryor is pitching a basically a shutout for seven innings in game six. We said, hang in there. He's not going to make it. And Dusty Baker's not taking him out until it's too late. And we ended up scoring eight runs in the eighth because Mark Pryor ran out of gas. Last night, the Astros were up six to one over the White Sox. The White Sox, by the way, can't beat a good team, which is why the White Sox, I don't know why I picked the Astros in five. I'm not sure the White Sox are going to win one game here. But for whatever reason, Dusty Baker put in his closer, Ryan Presley, to pitch the ninth inning. Ryan Presley went over 20 pitches, stressful pitches to get three outs. My question is this. Why are you using your closer up 6-1? And Dusty Baker will say what Jack McKeon would have said when I asked the same question. Because I'm not screwing around. 
We got to get this win. Game one of a five-game series when you only have to win three is critical. I don't care that it was 6-1. I'm bringing in my guy. But what Dusty Baker has to know is that you're playing five games in five days. What's today? Tuesday? So they played Friday, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday, Monday, and then Wednesday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Three games in six days. Five games in six days. Do I have that math right, Coca? Is it five games in six days? It was Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Five games in seven days. Nobody's pitching five times in seven days. So Presley's not going to be available for all five. And if you do pitch him five times in seven days and you win, then you're really crushing him for the league championship series. So the theory that we've got to get it also goes against what I do because when you put closers in in non-closing situations, their brain is not activated in a way it is when they're only up a run or tied going into a ninth inning where they have to lock in. When a closer goes in knowing that it's not a save opportunity, that they don't have that adrenaline flowing, they're not going to be as impactful and effective. Check out the stats. It's totally true. Closers in unclosing situations are far worse than their stats in closing situations. So not only does Presley throw 21 pitches, he kept McCullers in for 104 pitches in a 5-0 game, a 4-0 game before Rosarena stole home. It's going to cost him. They're still going to win the series. But I just wanted to point out to you things that are going on inside the game that get talked about after the game. And we'd sit with Dusty Baker and say, man, are, are, are we doing this? Is this really your plan? And then he'd tell us to screw off. So there's all these tensions that exist in the clubhouse. There's tensions between the front office and the clubhouse. There's tension between the front office and the trainers. There's tension between the players and the trainers thinking the trainers are the go-between between the front office and the players. The trainers are snitches. There's all this lack of trust between players in the front office as it relates to injuries and injury treatment. So many years over my career, we had players saying, man, your trainers are so bad. You want to do better. We, then we got to be hurt less. We need better trainers. I've got some suggestions, they would say. I want my guy here. How about my guy? My guy's so good with my back and my legs and my shoulders, and he's a masseuse, and he can tape, and he wraps my ankles right. I want my guy. So many players say that. And teams are apt to move out their training staffs. Like I just read, the Marlins fired their whole training staff. The Yankees fired their whole training staff last year after all the injuries, as though that was the magic pill. The reason why players are injured, and you're right, this is exactly how it happens, is the trainer. The trainer's not wrapping the hamstrings properly. The trainer's not doing the rub down of the shoulder after a start properly. The trainer isn't as focused on pregame conditioning, doesn't care during the stretch. If you go to a game early and watch MLB players stretch, you'll laugh. They're screwing around and talking and laughing and they're pretending they're stretching. That's the trainer's fault for sure. But the real issues come when there is an injury and more than one opinion exists as to treatment. And somebody asked me a specific question. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. 
So you want to talk to Samson. That's when you get on my Twitter. Follow us at David P. Samson. We're engaging with you. We're trying in our DMs to answer questions. I try to answer one-off questions as often as possible. I'm sitting there on Twitter. It's the dopamine rush, the addiction. I'm watching games. There's four games I'm going to watch today. Basically, from 2 p.m. on Friday, October 8th until 1 a.m., I will be watching baseball because it's October and this is the time. But I'm also on the phone constantly refreshing, looking at ideas for stories, thinking about shows for next week, watching things unravel, and I'll try to answer DMs. So get in there and ask me questions. I want to talk to Samson. Okay, you're talking to me. What happens when a player and his medical staff want a different treatment than the team's medical staff? Thank you for asking that question. He's referring, or she, whoever wrote this, or they, is referring to Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is a national hockey player, former captain of the Buffalo Sabres. Remember the injury that he had? I think it was a uh, some sort of back injury, maybe a disc injury, that surgery is required. And the fight that they're having currently is that the team wants him to have a type of surgery where he will be out for a shorter period of time, but that this type of surgery is not a permanent fix. The player wants to do a surgery that will have him out for longer, but permanently take care of the issue. Meanwhile, the player gets paid while he's hurt. So teams have an incentive to get a player back on the field with reckless disregard toward permanent injury later in life after the contract. I've already told you that I was that way. And I admitted it. When we had a player who was going to be a free agent, we would let that player pitch until his arm fell off. If we had a player who we knew we were not going to keep and they had a slight little twinge in the hamstring, but they wanted to play, we'd let him play. If we had a player that we were protecting because we had him signed long-term and there was a little something in the something, see you later. You're on the injured list. You have a way to treat this that gets you back sooner than later. We want you to do that. The union negotiated in its deal that players have the right to get a second opinion if they do not agree with the opinion of the team's medical doctor. Second opinion doctors have to be certified by the union and the commissioner. And players cannot go to a non-certified second opinion doctor. But what do you do when you have a disagreement over treatment? You call the agent. And you talk to the agent about what you are doing, why you're doing it. And then you have your doctor speak to their second opinion doctor. And the way it works is 99 out of 100 times, your doctor will convince the second opinion doctor that the protocol that we want to do as a team is safe, proper, and appropriate. The second opinion doctor does not want to fight too often with the main medical doctor. Guess why? Because the second opinion doctor wants to be a team doctor and the second opinion doctor does not want to not be a second opinion doctor because they get to say, hey, we treat major league professional athletes. And I am not impugning the medical profession in any way. I am not saying that doctors misdiagnose purposefully. I'm not saying that they're incompetent. Quite the opposite. You can have two brilliant people look at the same thing and see two different things. 
You can have two sets of doctors. You've heard this. Hey, if you go to that doctor, he's a cutter. He likes surgery. You go to that doctor. He's a totally conservative guy. He's going to let you try to rehab it for eight months or 10 months, or he's going to say, hey, you're just a house husband. You don't need to have rotator cuff surgery. So you can't lift your arm above your shoulder. You don't want to go through that rehab. You can find a doctor who's perfectly qualified, who will give you whatever answer that you want. If you want surgery, go to a doctor who likes to cut. If you're scared of anesthesia, go to a doctor who doesn't like to cut. It's sort of simple. But what rights does a player have to not do what the team wants? This is a very foggy part of labor relations. We never let it get that far because it is unchartered territory. We've had players who don't agree with our treatment plan and we fight it out. We come up with a modified treatment plan that the agent and the player and the player's doctor and medical staff and the agent's medical staff, these agencies have their own medical staffs. We work to come up with the treatment plan. Why am I discussing this? Because as a team president, I hated to give in to players, medical teams, and second opinion doctors and agents. And it's all because I've been burned by it. You heard me tell you about being burned by the Jose Fernandez agent medical team request. That's on a previous show. Our team doctors are there because they're the best and because they give us sponsorship dollars. Did you hear that? Is it possible that there's teams who have team doctors who are only there because those hospitals are willing to give them the most in sponsorship money? You're damn right it is. Take a look at your team and see whether or not there's sponsorships or signs for different hospitals. And then take a look whether those hospitals are the ones who are the team doctors for the players. Players know this. I know this. Everyone knows it. But here's the little kept secret. While it may be true if I have a choice between Dr. A and Dr. B, I'm going to go with the hospital that Dr. A is affiliated with if that hospital will be a bigger sponsor. But Dr. A and Dr. B are both damn good doctors. Do you think it's in my best interest to have shoddy medical attention for the players or to have some quack coming up with some ridiculous notion of what it is to treat a player just because he comes from a good hospital who has lots of money? No, I'm breaking the tie with orthopedic surgeons when we have a doctor and a sponsorship. I'm not going with an incompetent doctor. I'm protecting the investment. The investment we have is in our product. The product is the players. The result that we want is wins. To do that, we need the product to be healthy and to perform. We are on the same page as the players. We want what's best for you now. And you should want what's best for you now because your career is fleeting. We're still going to be around running a team after your career is over. I mean, unless you're fired. So trust us more than you do. And I'm talking to players right now, trying to get them not to have the fights that Jack Eichel's fighting. You're not going to win it. I appreciate your question. Nothing personal pick of the day. What were we before yesterday? Were we 128 and 109 on yesterday's show? Because now we're 129 and 110. Did I put the updated numbers in the show, Coca? 
Did you? We had Lance Lynn beating the Astros. Nope, we lost. We had the Rays beating the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, we did. I also want to point out, oh, I was 129 and 110 yesterday. That means we are 130 and 111. Thank you so much, Coca. We're putting that in so we have it. 130 and 111 is our current record because we went one and one. I did make a mistake on a Twitter video that I posted that one of you saw, and I appreciate you following me on Twitter. I did a recap, just a 30-second recap of the Rays game, and I was so irrationally exuberant and so excited about the game that I said a 20-year-old got a home run. It was a 26-year-old, Randy Rosarina, who stole home and hit a home run. The 20-year-old was Wander Franco, who actually got a hit in his first postseason at bat. I was wrong, so I'm correcting it. I correct myself. I'm going to make mistakes when you're on the air all day, when you're doing things in the public way with sports and stats and you're trying to watch 10 things, you're doing a show, there's mistakes. I own them. It's not the end of the world. Too many people refuse to do that. All right, let me give you some picks. Guess what? The Rays play the Red Sox again. I love baseball playoffs. It's every day. All four series are today, but we're going Rays over the Red Sox. I'm just, I am doubling down on the Rays sweeping the Red Sox even though I think my wait to see may have been the Rays in four yesterday. <laughs> I'm not sure why that happened. Saturday, we have game two of the Brewers and the Braves. Today's game one. They got Corbin Burns, the potential Cy Young winner. Tomorrow, they have Woodruff, the second part of their three-man gauntlet rotation. The Brewers are likely the best team in the National League. We'll see what happens with the Dodgers and Giants. I'm sorry for the Braves because they've had a good run, but Woodruff over Freed. The Brewers are a team that even without Devin Williams and his fractured hand sitting in Arizona will likely get past the Braves. Not a way to see. It's just a little nugget. I'm going to watch football and baseball on Sunday. I want to talk about a game on Sunday for one quick second, if you don't mind. I'd like to talk to you about uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Were they supposed to go undefeated, Coca? Was there some talk that Mahomes would do a full 17-0? Were they favored to win the AFC? Because they have a pretty good team. I'm not sure which team is favored to win the AFC, but I would think that they would be the uh, the choice. We've noticed that their defense is suffering, and we've noticed that the team loses. Guess who the Chiefs are playing? A team that lost week one where there was a thought, wow, is Buffalo really not as good as Buffalo Buff? Meanwhile, they haven't lost since. Meanwhile, Josh Allen puts up 40 points a game. I think he's averaging 60 points a game, seven touchdowns a game, and 800 yards. And for whatever reason, the Bills are getting two and a half versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs, of course, are the favorite to win the NFC at three to one. But I'm taking the two and a half. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes isn't the best quarterback in football anymore. I'm saying the Bills are a better team, even though they're four to one to win the AFC, and the Chiefs are three to one. These two and a half point lines are sucker lines. You're like, oh, we got to take the home team. They only have to win by a field goal and we win. We're taking the road team. Bills plus two and a half. That's Sunday. It's going to be a fun weekend, folks. There's a lot of sports on. October's the best month. We've got the NBA starting. We have the NHL starting. We have MLB playoffs. NFL is well underway. This is a great time to not watch movies. Nah, I'm still watching movies and TV shows. When we come back, I'm going to review billion season five. And then we're going to talk about how to get rich by stealing from healthcare companies. We'll be right back. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David. Thank you for making it through another week. Thank you for engaging with us the way that you do on all the different platforms that we're on, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter. We're having fun with you guys and we're going to keep going every day. I do take the time even during October. It just means less sleep. I got, uh, I was on HQ last night after the Rays Red Sox game. And after HQ did the 40-minute post-game for the Rams-Seahawks game, after HQ did the 10-minute soccer of a game that was going on in a time zone far, far away, I get it. And I was there and ready to do the post-game. We got done at maybe 1.30, 1.45 in the morning. And then I watched the season finale of Billions Season 5. I've been watching Billions from the beginning. I wanted to review Season 5 for you. And I, I want to spoil something. Coco, what's the rule when a TV show has been on and it's been reported what the spoiler is? And all you have to do is search Billions Season 5. All right, Coco, is it stopped? Shh. It's Friday and I'm tired. Okay, I won't do it. Watch Billions Season 5. And what I'd like you to watch for is that they stopped filming during the pandemic. And Paul Giamatti one day is overweight and then the next day is slim, trim, and looking fine. And they really don't address it except for the reality that guess what? There was like a year in between one day and another because in billions, it was a Friday and then it was a Saturday. On Friday, you had pre-COVID. On Saturday, it was post-COVID. Wow. Bunch of TV shows had this issue. Never more obvious than when Paul Giamatti changed his body and he looks terrific, but he still is the same amazing character. If you haven't watched billions at all because you're overwhelmed by sort of the finance part of it, that you feel like it's too complicated, You're there for the character development. You're there for Damian Lewis, the star of Homeland and now Billions. You're there for Paul Giamatti, the star of that blue character. What's that movie where he played a blue character? But I love him for Sideways. I love him for The Illusionist. What what is it? What's the movie, Coco, where he's a blue guy? There's got a lot. Big Fat Liar, I think is the name of it. You may know him or your kids know him from Big Fat Liar. Billions season five is way worth your time, but start at season one. Thank you. All right, I got to get to this story. Have to. Because Coca and I, when we were preparing for the show last night and this morning, Coca doesn't understand what the big deal is that 18 NBA players have now been indicted in a healthcare scam. Thinking they only got indicted because they're NBA players. That they're being made an example of because they're NBA players. You're damn right, Coca. That's exactly why the Southern District of New York and all the other districts around the country are paying attention to healthcare fraud. Because you, Coca, are paying more money out of your meager paycheck every week as part of your healthcare because A hats like this 
are stealing money from healthcare companies, which makes your healthcare costs go up. So look at your paycheck. Take a look at what you're paying for your healthcare. You need health insurance. Let me tell you how the scam goes. It's very simple. When you're in the NBA, part of what gets negotiated in all these labor agreements is health benefits, not just for current players, but for retired players. Retired players in the NBA have access to health care. Oh, you got a problem with your tooth? No problem. Get a root canal. We'll reimburse you. Oh, you have a little issue with your hamstring? No problem. Get some physical therapy. Oh, you got a slip disc? You have a problem in your derriere? No problem. We'll shove a probe up there so far. We're going to take a look at your tonsils and we'll cover it. Just submit the receipt. Tell us what you were doing and we'll pay you back. Well, some NBA players said, I got an idea. Why don't we say we are having things done to us that we don't have done to us? Tell people that we had it done to us and they get reimbursed and then buy a Lamborghini. Oh, I have an idea why you shouldn't do it. Because you're going to need soap on a rope. I have another idea why you shouldn't do it. Because it's illegal. It's stealing. These NBA players, former NBA players are so stupid that they submitted receipts to a healthcare company reimbursement program through the NBA that had them getting root canals, six of them on the same day. What a coincidence. One of them when he was in Taiwan playing professional basketball. Whoops, you weren't getting a root canal in Texas, were you? Submitting forms that had grammatical mistakes and typos. Totally made up treatments. It infuriates me what these NBA players are doing. It infuriates me how much healthcare fraud there is because I am paying for healthcare. No, not you, CBS. I'm an independent contractor. That means I've got health care for me and my family, and it ain't cheap. And you do it because in case of catastrophe, in case of major sickness, you don't do it for when you get a cold or you get the clap. You got a few crabs going on. No, you need health care for when you have a major problem and get run over by a city bike. How did these NBA players think they were going to get away with it? I'm just curious when you do something like that. When you submit to an NBA clearinghouse, if you will, eight different players doing the same exact treatment at the same exact time. That's a hell of a coincidence. I got a better one for you. They're so dumb. They submitted claims that all these guys had root canal on the same tooth. Well, they were caught. Not only are they going to have to pay all the money back that they took, it was millions of dollars. I believe that the ringleader and several of the others are going to actually serve time. You're not going to get 20 years to life, but you are going to lose your freedom for more than a minute. Was it worth it? Is it because the NBA players, and it was all marginal players, and I've heard of a couple of them, Darius Miles, you may have heard of him. There's a few you've heard of. There's a few made like 15 to 20 million bucks. How about making $20 million in your career? even if it's 12 million after taxes and then going through a healthcare fraud where you're making another 50 grand or 80 grand or 200 grand or 300 grand 
And then all of a sudden you're in handcuffs before a magistrate judge Parker in the Southern district of New York. Is that a good plan? I'm not dropping this Coca. I'm sorry. You cannot make up that you are doing something and then get paid for that. Whether it's healthcare, how about this? How about the number of people I fired with the Marlins or Expos who did expense fraud? Do you know what expense fraud is? Expense fraud is when you say that you are spending money and you get reimbursed for it, but you didn't actually spend that money. That's fraud. You're fired. Not going to report you to the Southern District and Magistrate Judge Parker. Not doing that. But what I am doing is firing you. Oh, you did dry cleaning for $20, but you submitted expenses for $80 because you had the dry cleaner put an extra $60 on there for cleaning a comforter. Bye-bye. Is it really worth it? I want to know what these NBA players are thinking right now as they do perp walks. There's another person who's going to have to do a perp walk, getting back to trainers. Did you read what's going on? With them? Is the Washington football team the greatest team ever? I think they have to be. They provide us with everything. Daniel Snyder, his wife, Tanya, is now running the team. What's their record, Coca? Are they 6-0? Are they having a great year? I would hope they're winning on the team. They're trying to figure out what they're on the, on the field. They're trying to figure out what their new name is going to be. They're trying to change the culture. They're bringing in people. They're two and two. Okay, thank you. They're trying to, that is mediocre. It's fine, whatever, two and two. They're trying to figure out what is going to be their, not just their uniform, their team name, but what their culture is going to be. They've been claiming they're fixing it. Well, I have never, and I've seen a lot, had a lot done, done a lot. I've never had the FBI raid any place where I was. Never had the FBI raid any of our team offices, any of our players. The FBI descended upon the Washington football team training headquarters, descended upon them as though they were trying to catch Billy the Kid. And they were after the trainer for the Washington football team. His name is Ryan Vermillion. That's a name you may know if you're in Miami, worked for the Dolphins. Ron Rivera, who coached for the Panthers and then moved to the WFT to give the WFT credibility. Vermillion came with him. Ron Rivera talked about the importance of surrounding himself with great people. Changing how things are done, the way things are looked at. So the FBI raids it. It's the DEA is investigating now this guy. And the question is why? And I said, Coco, we don't know, but we're going to find out. And when it finds out, we're going to do a segment on it. Are you surprised with what it is? What do you think trainers would be investigated for? Pills, opioids, prescription drugs, giving out prescription drugs when you don't have the right to give out prescription drugs. Trainers do not have the right to either write a prescription or give a prescription without a doctor present doing the prescription. The days of carrying around 10 bags of heroin and just giving them to the players, not heroin. The days of carrying around 10 Z-packs to clear any possible STD or any sniffle that a player has and handing them out like Tic Tacs or handing out Vicodin or Valium or Oxy 
those days are over because people are dying all over the country, not just in sports, but everywhere. I'm actually watching, I'm going to finish watching Goliath this weekend season. It's the final season of Goliath that Billy Bob Thornton show on Amazon, phenomenal show. And the final season that I'm watching is all about him trying to take down big pharma. We know exactly if you follow Rex Chapman on Twitter, you know, he's a recovering opioid addict and he talks about it. You know, from following us, what happened to Tyler Skaggs, you know that prescription drug abuse is a real thing, a far bigger problem, not just for athletes, but for people around this country. And you know that the feds and the DEA are trying to crack down. If you are a longtime team trainer in good standing, the way Ryan Vermillion seems to have been, you know this. If you are a long-standing team trainer, rehabilitation coordinator, you've been around the NFL, and you work for a team that you know is under the microscope. You know better than to give out prescription drugs. Don't you? What's going to happen to him now? Well, he's going to be put on a leave of absence. I can promise you that. And then he's going to be fired. My way to see for today is that while he is very close with the coach, maybe even with Tanya, while he has a stellar reputation as a great trainer, it doesn't matter. He is going to be a victim of WFT and all the things that Dan Snyder has done to that team for years and decades. He is going to be swept up as a victim of culture change. Ron Rivera is going to have to distance himself from his friends so fast it'll make your head spin like a dreidel. The next step is the Washington football team will announce that they have fired Ryan Vermillion even before he's charged with the crime, even before he gets to prove his innocence or try to prove his innocence. It's tough when you get caught up in that kind of stuff, isn't it? Right? It's tough. Come on, WFT. I'm not short of content. Do you think it's possible that Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder didn't know or the team doctor didn't know or the coach didn't know or the manager or people inside the clubhouse? No, we're in the training room every day. If our trainer were a dope dealer, we would know. Now, not grass or weed or pot. But if he's doing prescription drugs out of the clubhouse, we are keeping track because we count them. We know exactly the number of pills of each that we have. We have an inventory that we check every day. We have to do these things. People's lives are at stake. People's jobs are at stake. I guess when it comes to opioids, that may be an example where I would say, it's not just business, it's personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com